page 530 of the Book of Praise, you can find the confession of the church, the explanation and what we believe about the different articles of the Apostles' Creed. And then in Lord's Day 16, it's especially his death and his burial, what the church confesses. And today I'll preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ as it's summarized and confessed by the church in this Lord's Day. So we'll read it together. Lord's Day 16. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, death, we see it in the news every day. It's the one thing that we have in common with every human being in every place in the world. And yet, it is something that no one really wants to think about and much less talk about. Death does not respect race, social class, or even age. And if you ask the scientists and the doctors, there is no cure, there's no way to avoid it. In the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, the preacher meditates on death a little bit by saying that it doesn't make a difference if you work hard or not, if you're wise or if you're a fool. It's in chapter 3. Because the fate of everyone, the, the, uh, the fate of everyone is, is the same as that of the animals. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 19 and 20, all come from dust and to all return. In other places in Scripture, we can read a little bit more about what death is. And it's not always a very clear message. We could say it's, we, we read a lot of different things about death. When we read Genesis, we see that death entered the world through one man who disobeyed God. There's a, possible to be a, a human being uh, without death. We can see that from Genesis. The Psalms 
uh, confirmed that death is more than just the moment when we stop breathing. We, we even sang that in Psalm 116, stanza 3, uh, that, that the believer is, is entangled in the cords of death. It shows the, the suffering of the death, but then also the possibility to, to come back alive, to, to escape this death. Paul says that death is the last enemy that will be destroyed. Revelation talks about a first and a, and a second death. Hebrews talks about Christ Jesus tasting death. And there's also a reference to, to death being swallowed up in victory. So what is the, the biblical view of death? Since we all may have to pass through it, if the Lord Jesus does not return before that time comes, uh, it's an important question. How should we as Christians look at death? If he died for us, if Jesus died for us, why, why do we still have to die? Lord's Day 16 helps us to answer that question. And using the analogy that we find in Scripture that about death as something that is swallowed, I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the following theme, Christ swallowed death so that we only have to smell it. And we see uh, the taste of death in the first place, in the second place, the, the smell of death, in the third place, the purpose of death. The promise of the gospel and the confession of the church is that Christians never have to taste death. So we can talk about the taste of death, but we never have to taste death in its fullness. That's our, our starting point. Although everyone who does not repent and believe in Jesus Christ will have to taste death in its fullness, Christians don't have to because Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. He tasted it for us who believe. When we understand that we are part of, of his family, we, it becomes clear to us. We can, we can see it as it's pictured in Scripture. The Lord Jesus, he drank the cup of God's wrath, and he drank it all down so, so we don't have to. There's nothing left for us to drink. We won't have to taste death in its fullness. Now the same cannot be said for those who, who remove themselves from the family of God or, or those who deny the Lord Jesus as, as the Son of God, those who, who fight against him all their lives, they can't say, well, well, he tasted death for me. Anyone who does not repent and does not receive forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ will have to taste death in its fullness. And as we warn people about this, we should, we should warn people about that. Uh, it's, it's a sign of our love and, and compassion and as we call people to repentance, we must also understand what death really is. What does Scripture reveal about the taste of death, and how is this different from the understanding of the unbeliever? And today the whole question of, of death is being discussed a lot, is being discussed together with the questions of abortion and euthanasia. Abortion is the, the killing of unborn babies in the womb. And euthanasia is, is a word, comes from two Greek words. It, it means good death, literally. And that refers to, to mercy killing 
or killing someone out of compassion to free them from their inescapable and, and as they would see it, perhaps a hopeless situation. And when we look at the details of this debate, we can see that one's definition of death is related to their definition of life. Since it is common today to start with a broad definition of, of what life is, life is the ability to perceive, to experience, and interact with your surroundings. Today it's not very good to say that life is just existing. It's not just breathing in a measurable way. There's, there's more to life than just breathing. We hear that. Well, the, the result is that death is defined as the opposite of this. So now death is the inability to interact with your environment. Now, if you have ever met someone who was so severely disabled that they weren't able to communicate in any way or, or they could only communicate uh, to you the pain uh, that they were suffering, then you can understand where this idea uh, comes from. When you, when you see that, you, you wonder, is this any way to live? Is, is this life? Uh, there's no interaction. It seems to be only uh, suffering. If life is the ability to interact with your environment, to, to have some happiness, some joy, some experience... then the, the subjective conclusion must be that the unformed uh, or the disabled or the elderly are dead even while they are breathing. The question is, is this any life? Even, even an unformed baby uh, will be born to what? It's an unwanted baby. Is that, is that life? Isn't that already uh, death? And that's how the, the thinking of the world works. You define death as the opposite of life, and if you have a broad definition of life, well, then you, then you look at this, and, and then you can see very intelligent people, uh, even medical, of the medical profession, they can support health care uh, on the one hand, and, and euthanasia at, at the same time. It's not a contradiction if your definition of life is based on, on the quality of existence, uh, you know, that you can enjoy something still. Or you could see intelligent people supporting the right to abortion, uh, but also excellent prenatal programs. Uh, and again, that's not a contradiction if you define life, um, the life of the baby, not by its beating heart, but by its chances of being born in a loving environment. And it's noteworthy that all this discussion about death and, and how the unbeliever in, is seeing death is, is happening in a time when, when a lot of the popular TV shows uh, are, are to do with zombies, uh, to do with, with uh, even vampires, this, this sort of other existence on the other side uh, of death. And as twisted as it is, uh, and, and as strange as, as it is that people would want to watch uh, and even think about this made-up uh, existence of zombies, uh, it, maybe it seems less cruel to take life if there's some idea of a continued existence afterward. Maybe it's less cruel than it's, it's not such a final decision in the minds of those who, who do not know Jesus Christ. And so when you see death in this way, then the taking of the life of someone who is really suffering is merely completing a death that has already begun. Now if you meet someone who thinks 
like this about death, uh, who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who's trying to explain uh, their experiences, then you should notice that there are some similarities. There are some distant similarities to the biblical understanding. We would agree that life is more than just mere existence. We would agree that a person can taste death uh, already before his heart start, stops beating. And we would agree that there is chance of life uh, and existence after death. However, there are also several points of discussion with an unbeliever. What the Bible shows us about death and about life. In the first place, the Bible tells us that life is more than just existing, just breathing. But, and we would explain this to the unbeliever, life is also more than just living for our own pleasures. God created living beings with a body and a soul so that they could live forever in a relationship with God. They could live in a relationship with God and, and to his glory. God created us to enjoy our work, to develop the world, to get married and, and have children, to add to the number of saints who, who will be praising God for all eternity in joy and in peace. When we understand that we are made to glorify God with our whole being, then that gives us purpose to be here on the earth. Even when we can't get personal enjoyment out of our health or out of other aspects of our life. Our relationship with God is the center of all of life, all happiness, every family, every moment of worship. It's centered on God. For this reason, as long as we are in a relationship with God, then we are living. No matter how disabled and how unable to communicate we may be. But as soon as we turn away from God to head into darkness, then we begin to die. Life and death are all about our relationship to God and not just about our own experiences. As a result of this, we can explain to the unbeliever that actually the problem of death is much more than they thought. Dying begins before we lose the ability to interact with our environment. Dying begins already before we are born because it began when Adam and Eve disobeyed in paradise, in the garden. People who experience years of being dominated by the sinful nature, those who are controlled by, by worldly passions, they are tasting death as victims of its eternal power already in this life. The first stage of death is spiritual renders us incapable of glorifying God with our whole being, severing our relationship, the ties of our relationship with God, and making us rebellious and even fearful of our Father in heaven. The solution then also has to be more drastic than simply trying to feel comfortable or trying to make someone feel comfortable. The second stage of death is our physical death, death which is a consequence of our spiritual death. It's the last enemy that a human being will have to encounter while on this earth. It is a punishment from God for fallen man, not something that belongs to the natural cycle 
of human existence, you, you would maybe be surprised how many people see death as something, just a natural part of the human existence. But when we look at Scripture, we see we were not created to die. The body and the soul are not meant to be separated. And for this reason, death is frightening. And the devil uses this fear of death to hold people in slavery. We read that in Hebrews 2. When we talk, about, when we talk to the unbeliever, we should also point out that death is a punishment and not just a normal part of the regular cycle of human existence. Physical death takes away our opportunity to repent and to praise God. We can see that in Psalm 115, verses 7 to 10. Physical death is, is a manifestation, an expression of God's anger against unbelievers. It is not an expression of mercy. And since the weak and the disabled and the unborn, just like the healthy and the strong, have sinned against God and not against the state, it can only be the sovereign God and not the individual, not the government or society who can decide the, to end the life of someone. God made this very clear when he said, you shall not murder. It's not our decision. It's God in his sovereignty who decides. The Bible continues to show that there is one more stage of death, and that is when God makes the soul continue to suffer even after the body is buried. We read in Matthew 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Revelation 20 goes on to speak about the second death. You can see that in verse 6 and 14 to 15 of Revelation 20. That's the, we could say it's the second stage of, of dying after God issues his judgments from his throne. Our catechism summarizes this last part of, of death as everlasting punishment of body and soul. And we see that also in our Lord's Day question and answer 44. It speaks of the, the anguish and torment of hell where men will suffer unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony. That's also a part of the taste of death. When we talk to unbelievers about the hope of the gospel in the midst of these debates about death, it is important that they also know that there is more to death than they can see with their eyes. It's not the solution that they think it is. Death is not just about freeing someone from personal discomfort, but it's also to do with our relationship to God, both on this earth and for all eternity. Death is bitter because it is God's punishment against sin, both now and eternally. Any man, woman, or child who remains in their sins is already experiencing death, will come to the point where they stop breathing, and then after being judged in heaven will be sent to the second death, which is eternal. That is also why we must be adamant defenders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We might be, must be adamant defenders of life. We must be eager to share the hope of the gospel because the Lord's punishment against sin is very severe. And the gospel brings 
A wonderful message. We read that in Hebrews. And now we see the depth of those words. Christ tasted death for everyone. He tasted all of that for everyone who believes. So we don't have to. We don't have to taste death in its fullness. He is our substitute. He suffered under God's wrath for us and in our place. He was buried so that there would be no doubt that he died physically. We know he cried out about God's forsakenness and God forsaking him on the cross. We see that Christ tasted death in its fullness for everyone who believes in him. He paid the price for our sins so that we never have to pay anything to God. And yet, we still smell it. Psalm 23, the wording that we could see in Psalm 23, when it speaks about going through that uh, valley of death, in the second stanza, though by its gloom and shadows overtaken uh, in death's dark valley. That's the smell of death. When we compare our lives with God's holy and pure lives, uh, that's the first way we can, we can smell death. We look at ourselves and we can see the disgusting smell of death in our remaining disobedience. It, it even brings us to tears when we compare our lives to, to God's holy perfection. And we can see that sinful nature is, is, is like, it, it doesn't reign in us and it doesn't dominate our lives. We've been set free from that. It was nailed to the cross. And yet, that, that bacteria is still there and it's causing rot within us. We see that. It makes us sad. It causes us guilt. We have to pray for repentance or for forgiveness in repentance. We have regrets. We have sorrow. And so we live here. We know that Christ tasted death, but we, we still see it. We smell it in ourselves and, and we long for that day when we don't have to smell even the effects of the sinful nature anymore. And we could smell death all around us as well. And the effects of death and God's punishment of mankind can be seen in the corruption, in the violence, in the immorality that is so common today. And many of you uh, see that in your daily work. You can see how, how much corruption and violence is around us. Others see it on the news. We see uh, how much people mistreat each other. We see how people are, are, are being so cruel to each other, although all of us are made in the, in the image of God. And, and we, we cannot watch the news and think about those things deeply, with, again, without being brought to tears, that smell of death. We see it all around us. The prophet Zechariah uh, in, in the last chapters, it's an apocalyptic part of the prophecy. He's speaking about the, this world and the punishment of God against the unbelievers. And, and he describes it as dying people, killing dying people. And, and that's what we see. We can smell death all around us. We don't have to taste death in its fullness ourselves. Uh, we can smell it and, and we, have to, we have to be careful uh, how we live. We have to guard our children. We, we might be frightened. We might be in frightening uh, situations. 
We have to be careful with the lives and, and the dignity of our loved ones. We have to be vigilant to protect the vulnerable in society because we can smell death and it's not right. We know a different kingdom. We know the kingdom of light. The putrid odor of the fullness of death, that the horrible fear and the emptiness surrounding it can be so overpowering when someone you know dies without having known Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've had that in, in your life, but someone uh, dies and you don't have words to say. They, they don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe they were part of your family who never believed. Maybe you saw them walking away from the Lord. You even tried to stop them and, and they kept going and the Lord took them from this life. Maybe you met them at work and you've even been talking about faith and praying for them and then they go. And, and we look. And we want to say something. But what's there to say? We smell that horrible smell of the fullness of death. It's, it's very disturbing. What an awful experience to be so close to the full taste of death, to, to have to contemplate it in this intimate way. And then we hear some man in a, in a suit at a funeral like this, you know, saying, oh, he's in a better place. And we know it's just false religious talk. It, it just adds more pain to what we know to be true. It, it really hurts. The smell of death makes us so sad. Sometimes we ask, does it have to be this way? But inside we know that God is, is extremely good and God is, is just. Uh, the Lord Jesus had to die. We even confess that, that there was no other way. The death is the payment for the just and holy God for those who, who sin against him. But then we can also see the hope uh, or, or we can also see God's grace even when we look at the situation. You see, God in his grace is holy and just, but in his grace he also put you in that person's life. He gave you that opportunity to, to speak about the gospel. May that also then be a motivation for you in your, in your jobs, in your work, uh, not to miss the opportunity to talk about the, the hope of the gospel. You don't want them. You don't want anybody you know to have to taste the fullness of death. Just because you don't have to, it doesn't mean you can let others just go ahead and do that. And so we need to urgently pray, urgently pray for those we know because that smell of death is, is horrible. But then when we look at our own situation and, and someone passes away in our own circles, we could say in, in the church of Jesus Christ, and we have the hope of resurrection, uh, does that mean it's easy for us? Well, again, the, not at all. Even when somebody is a believer, we know them, we could still smell the, the, the punishment aspect of death. Even though it isn't payment for sin, and the smell of death makes it very, very difficult for us. We can already see that in, in, in the way we have to live our lives. We've, I mean, how many times our children are sick? You could think about 
how you keep busy, what tires you out. Sometimes it's getting up over and over at night to take care of a sick child. And the next day you have to give support to, to a sister who's going through a tough time. And, and then you need to take care of your parents who are, are not so healthy. Or they're getting older. And, and you can smell death just in the regular time, even in the church. And, and it's not easy. It's not always easy to, to see the weakness in ourselves and, and the weakness in others, it, to see how this tent, the body we have, is, is beaten and, and worn out. And then when the Lord takes home one of our loved ones, when he when takes one of our loved ones and, and we know the words, we know they're promoted to glory, we know that they're with our Lord forever and ever, and, and yet it's still very tough it's very difficult. We suffer. We, we weep as our Lord Jesus Christ wept. Although God says the death of his saints is precious in his sight. We sang that. And we know that we don't have to worry about their well-being because they're in Christ. It still hurts us very much. The smell of death still leaves a, a hole in our hearts. Even when we have not even met the child who was promoted to glory while, while still in our womb. And we know that one day we will meet them again in the great resurrection. We still weep. Others pass away that we know very well. Many years of, of, of marriage, perhaps. They were husbands and, or wives or perhaps a father or mother. Or perhaps even a child who passed away before us. We, we knew that child better than, better than the child knew himself or herself. How can we express the, the feeling in words? Even in the few cases where we can see the goodness of God in, in freeing them from suffering, it is very hard to be left behind without having that loved one beside us. The smell of death is something that we still experience. The tragic deaths of our beloved children, young people, will never be forgotten. We cannot even hear these words, we can't think of it without being brought to tears. Every time we hear of, of someone being murdered because of their faith, and we hear a lot of that lately, this time of, of persecution, great persecution in which we live we thank God for our lives, but we feel it. It's very sad. And we long for that final, visible defeat of death. We can also understand really well then that promise, no more tears, no more weeping. That, that's saying no more smell of death. Perhaps in all of this, we even wonder, why do we have to suffer all this? Didn't Christ win? <laughs> Didn't he have the victory? What was the use of Christ's death if it can't even take away the smell of death for us? If Christ tasted death for everyone, why do we still have to die? That's how the, the pastors who, who made the, the catechism, the church that adopted it, that's how they, they word it. It's a very, very poignant question. It, it hits us in our hearts. And we see that in our final point, the the purpose of death. You see, when we see death and suffering around us, the corruption, the violence, it, it has a purpose in our lives. 
God is sovereign. We say he is good, and he does what is good for his own. Ecclesiastes uh, tells us that it's better to be in the house of mourning with sober reflection than in the house of joy and celebration without any serious consideration of life or death. And we know that. We've all experienced when we're in a cemetery and we're talking with others, it's, it's a serious talk. And we're thinking uh, about this earth and about our task with a broader perspective. Death is a tool that God can use to humble the proud. There's a parable about that, a man who built the, the barns, more and more barns. It's a tool that God can use to warn the ungodly. It's a tool that we can also use to speak to the unbelievers about the hope of the resurrection. Death in the world is then a great reminder that we have a greater purpose uh, on life than to just see how many toys we can get. There's more to life than material wealth and material comforts. If you look back in church history, there was a time uh, in, in England when there, there was a, the Church of England and there was another group of, of men who were trying to, men and families who were trying to be faithful to Scripture. The, they're known today as the Puritans. And they lived in a time of extreme suffering. There was diseases, plagues that was, was just wiping them out. They were busy. The ministers were busy all the time doing funeral after funeral. They were watching their children die. They were watching their wives die. And, and we get to see a little bit of what they wrote about that. And in their writings, you can see them talking about the death of loved ones as a tool from God to help you cut those strings that are, are binding you to earth so that it's easier to let go of what we see and embrace what God promised. And then we can see that yeah, death has a purpose. The suffering has a purpose in our life. There's no doubt that the smell of death keeps us focused on the promises of God. The fact that things are, are not so good here all the time, it makes us long for, for what is better. And God promised us what is better. Death reminds us of the battle that is taking place. While we are on earth, there is a conflict between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. Loss and dying are a part of the battle. Uh, we, we even read of the dying of the old nature. Our old nature is, is crucified. That died. Uh, we put to death our, our old nature. In a battle, there will always be death as well and loss. And the battles within us are, are part of a larger war in which the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God and glory is replacing the kingdom of darkness and tears and failure. The enemy is being destroyed. And in fact, the whole world which was cursed in the fall uh, will be destroyed in the fire. The old must be done away with so that the new may come. Although death will not be necessary for, for everyone, if Christ returns first, and 1 Corinthians 15 makes it clear that not everyone will die, it's not a necessity in our lives to, to continue in, in communion and fellowship with God. Uh, it is something that God uses. And we know that until Christ comes, death serves to to purge us from that weakness and fragility. You can see that in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians. 
Our bodies are physically weak. They are mortal. The fall into sin has made them incapable of spending eternity uh, with God in the way they are. Like Christ's body, our bodies need to be glorified. So whether we die and and rise up again as as a new creation or whether Christ returns, you'll still see in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ returns right now, uh, we'll still change in a flash and twinkling of an eye. The perishable and the mortal needs to be left behind. Death is a way of of shedding off the weak and dying and allowing the new and glorified body to to sprout out like a plant. Paul makes it clear that in terms of our nearness and our relationship to God, nothing changes. That's very important to understand. It's like moving from one country to to another country. Everything around you changes. Uh, The people the, the, the weather, the food, your home, the plants, the cars, your job, the expectations, but your relationship to God doesn't change in the least. It just keeps going the same. Paul emphasizes that also in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 10 to 11, when he says, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then the words that we need to pay attention to uh, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And then the catechism takes that and says, well, if that's the case, then death is just a door. A door to eternal life. Like our Savior Jesus Christ, we pass through that valley of suffering, the valley of death, so that we may arrive in glory, where the table has been prepared for us in the presence of God, that eternal banquet. Death is that, that dark valley, that, that way of entering into the glory. The serpents may be poisoning and killing people all around you, causing all sorts of sadness and fear, but when he tries to get you, the Bible says that his fangs will be useless. The sting of death leaves a mark but does not bring us to the second death because of the work of Christ. The death of your Christian mother or father, son or daughter, friend or relative is not a payment for sin. It's a door. That's what we confess. It's not a punishment. If it was a punishment, it would be a lot worse. It's a door. It's a door opened by Jesus Christ and all who pass through him, the way, the truth, and the life, they they see the glory on the other side. It's a door held open by Jesus Christ. He was punished so that we don't have to be. We have an encouraging and a hopeful message for everyone in the world. Not just the happy and the healthy, but also the weak and the disabled, and the hopeless. All of us have been created in the image of God. Everyone, whatever nation, whatever place in the world, has been made to glorify God. That's life. Whether you have a voice or not, whether you can communicate your experiences to others or not. Every human being was created in the image of God for his glory. 
Because of this, everyone belongs and is called to be here in the midst of the people of God, praising God for salvation in Jesus Christ. Because when we are right with God in Christ today, we will be right with God eternally. As members of Christ's body, we can begin to glorify God already today. We can begin to fulfill our mandate to offer our lives as a sacrifice of thankfulness to him as we confess, knowing that we will never have to taste death in its fullness. Although the smell of death will get us down while we are here on earth, when we are called by our heavenly Father to go home, we can be completely assured that our death is just an entrance into eternal life. And we can go with our heads raised high, unashamed, we read in in John, with confidence. This is the gospel of Christ, death, and burial. Amen. Let's now sing together in response hymn 30. death and how that also changes uh, our death. Psalm, hymn 30 stands as one, two, and three standing if you're able to stand. <laughs>